0: My Lyft driver in Chicago, taking me to the airport, said, and this is going to be a rough quote, not a direct quote. He said, the journalists know that the government has weather control weapons, but they don't report on it. The government could stop the glaciers from melting. This is the world that we live in today. There is no truth. There is no trust. (laughs) We have no basis for understanding the world. And then by contrast, the guy who drove me to the airport in Atlanta was talking to me about water recycling in Gwinnett County and how he's interested in in the whole process of it and how he thinks the technology is fantastic. And he was talking about trying to work with the city council for high speed rail. So it's like you have these two totally different experiences with just the average everyday human.
1: You had, you had the whole spectrum of drivers, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> like complete. There was no in-between for you. You were at one end of the spectrum, and then when you landed, you
0: went to the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bizarre.
1: Welcome to Talking Underwater.
0: One water, one podcast.
1: I am Katie Johns, Editor-in-Chief of Stormwater Solutions and Water Quality Products.
0: And I'm Bob Croson, Editorial Director for the Endeavor Water Group and Editor-in-Chief for Wastewater Digest.
1: In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we touch on the current known status of the PFAS MCL as of March 10th, the EPA's latest push on cybersecurity for water systems, and a brief update on the BABA rules based on a recent webinar. Additionally, we talk about the new funding available through this year's Clean Water State Revolving Fund. And finally, our interview this month is with Naomi Jones and Michaela Ramkowski, who are design integration directors for McCarthy Building Company's water business unit. Naomi and Michaela are part of the all-female design integration team, so we talked about their experiences with the group, their career paths, and they also shared advice for fellow young professionals. But before all that, I'm going to hand it over to Bob to talk through some news.
0: The EPA has finally announced its maximum contaminant levels and maximum contaminant level goals for PFAS. Namely, PFOA and PFOS have a maximum contaminant level of 4 parts per trillion, with a maximum contaminant level goal of 0. Also included are MCLs and MCLGs for 4 other PFAS, namely PFNA, PFHXS, PFBS, and HFPO-DA, commonly referred to as GenX chemicals. The way the proposed MCL and proposed MCLG is calculated for these four PFAS is through what's called a hazard index. This hazard index is calculated using an equation. If that equation equates to one or less, you're good. If it's higher than one, you have exceeded the proposed MCL. The equation for the hazard index is as follows. PFHXS divided by 9 parts per trillion plus PFNA divided by 10 parts per trillion plus GenX divided by 10 parts per trillion and plus PFBS divided by 2,000 parts per trillion. Chris Moody at the AWWA provided some examples on Twitter of what this equation could look like if you were testing for non-detect and trying to meet meet health advisory levels. For example, if your PFHXS is non-detect, if your PFNA is non-detect, if your Gen X is 6 parts per trillion, which is the health advisory level, and your PFBS is 1,000 parts per trillion, also the health advisory level, you can end up with a hazard index of 1.1, which is greater than the hazard index on the new MCL. In a response to Chris Moody's tweet, GM, who is an environmental engineer for CDM Smith who specializes in PFAS, she's also highly prolific in the AWWA community, being on a couple of committees and especially the Young Professionals one, she responded to Chris Moody with another example equation. In GM's example, she used the figures for each of those four PFAS at levels below the health-based water concentration limits. In doing so, she still ended up with a 1.2 hazard index, which is greater than the proposed MCL. These are just two examples of how this equation can result in you having a greater than one hazard index, meaning you no longer comply with the proposed MCL or the proposed MCLG, and it's gonna pose a tremendous challenge on drinking water utilities. We're gonna have some more information on this particular issue next month, We have an entire episode dedicated just to the news coverage of this. We also will have an entire episode dedicated to thought leadership and experts on this. So stay tuned for April. We're going to have a lot of coverage here. We will also have a lot in print in Waterworld, so you can find out more there, including some visuals. Secondly, the EPA also released, released a memorandum that requires states to survey public water systems for cybersecurity best practices. Since the start of President Biden's term, the administration has placed a really heavy value on cybersecurity for water systems and it's going to be included in periodic audits of, quote, sanitary surveys conducted by the states, meaning water systems that are audited, and it's going to be required by the EPA to be included in those audits. There is technical assistance and resources available from the EPA on this, and we've included a link to the press release on this particular memorandum in our show notes, so please check that out for more information. Lastly, I wanted to do a quick update on what we know... Currently, with BABA, we've talked about this, I feel like, almost every month for the past year because there's still no guidance. Our editor, Jeremy Wolf, attended a webinar and produced an article recapping the information that was presented there, and this webinar was specific to manufacturers. Additionally, I wanted to note that the Water and Wastewater Equipment Manufacturers Association produced comments on BABA and shared it with its members as well as leadership in the EPA and the Office of Management and Budget and the federal government as a whole. The primary points of contention are more or less what we've heard over the past year, which is 1. How is 55% domestic content calculated for manufactured products, particularly those of high complexity such as blowers, control panels, and other similar equipment? Second, we also noted the unintended consequences that this could have on implementing innovative technology in the U.S. water and wastewater systems as there are some components and products in those systems that have never been manufactured in the United States. This poses an issue for compliance for water and wastewater projects in particular and it's something that they've been stressing for quite some time. And then the third thing I wanted to note here, and this is another contentious portion of BABA, is that currently under the rule, labor is not included in the costs for calculating domestic production, which WEMA argues goes against the ultimate goal and intention of BABA to increase jobs and domestic jobs. The argument here is that the rule is intended to do that, but by not counting labor, you're not measuring nor calculating the labor market as it relates to like the entire intention of the work. So to them, they're saying that this is a misaligned with the mission of the goal overall, and it's a big portion of contention because it could totally change how some of these manufactured products are like understood in terms of that calculation. Some of them that may be are made overseas or many components are made overseas, but they're put together here with domestic jobs, they could comply potentially if labor were included. But with it not included, then some of those overseas technologies just can't make it here. So we'll be following this as we always have. It's been nearly a year since the official effective date of BABA on May 14th, and there's still no official guidance from the government on how to be compliant with this. And the longer this drags out, the more we and other leaders in the water industry are anticipating major delays in project timelines as the pool of projects that could be conducted with waivers begins to wane, meaning that Projects that were initiated in the design phase prior to May 14th can get waivers to not have to worry about BABA, but anything that was initiated after that date is going to have to comply and there's still no rules, no clear guidance on how to comply. So as those projects prior to that date begin to wane, we're going to run into some crazy, crazy timeline delays. So the money's there, the rules are unclear, and that's a liability for manufacturers who are becoming a little bit more apprehensive on uh, joining projects. So. Anyway, not to be a downer, but (laughs) wanted to point that out. Katie, you have some news as well.
1: Yeah, so just a quick little point that the U.S. EPA has announced over $2.4 billion from the bipartisan infrastructure law through this year's Clean Water State Revolving Fund. According to the EPA, nearly half of this funding will be available as grants or principal forgiveness loans for underserved communities. The funding is... um, you know, supposed to aid communities and upgrading their water, wastewater, and stormwater infrastructure. This is the second installment of funding from the IIJA with the first allotment of $1.9 billion that was announced in May of 2022, so almost a year ago. Um, with this, the EPA also released a state-by-state breakdown of the amount allotted for each state, and we have that on our sites, and we'll be sure to link it in our show notes. Um, so I think that wraps up our news section for today. So without further ado, let's jump into our interview with Naomi and Michaela from McCarthy. Here it is. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to Talking Underwater. I am Katie Johns, editor in chief of Stormwater Solutions and Water Quality Products, and today I am joined by Naomi Jones and Michaela Rempkowski, who are design integration directors for McCarthy Building Company's Water Business Unit. We are going to dive into their career path, their goals, and what it means to be women in the water industry. So Naomi and Michaela, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having us. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. So I want to start, just, can you each take just like a little bit of time to tell us about your career path and kind of how you ended up where, where you are today?
3: Go ahead, Michaela.
2: Um, so for me, I like to explain my career path like Plinko and is all very lucky that I am here today. Um, essentially, what happened straight out of college, um, I studied chemical engineering, so my choices were the oil field or a pharmaceutical company, both of which I wasn't very passionate about. I was a first generation college student, so I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I just <laughs> loved chemistry and math. Luckily, I uh, networked with an amazing woman who's also a chemical engineer. Her name's Carrie Greenfelder. Um, and she had a position open for me in water. And uh, I kind of followed her around designing water and wastewater treatment plants for eight years um, and finally got recruited by McCarthy to come be a contractor and help build out the design integration um, group within McCarthy. Um and so it's just meeting the right people, um, uh, <laughs> saying the right things, knowing where my values lie, um, and and just going with the flow, saying yes.
3: Yeah. Awesome. And Naomi. Yeah, similarly. Um, I'm a chemical engineer and kind of had these two choices in front of me, and you know, really didn't find either of them, you know, truly uh, satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go after, so uh, I I got lucky as well and kind of met the right people. Ended up at a, a membrane manufacturer, so I have kind of an R and D background for uh from the manufacturing side, and you know my experience has primarily been in the advanced water treatment processes, um or reuse and desalination. So you know I've been lucky enough to. Be able to travel, um, doing startup and commissioning, troubleshooting, optimization of those types of systems, and I, you know, jumped at the chance to work with uh, the talented team we have at McCarthy um, and get more involved on the construction side. So that's kind of my background. Okay,
1: awesome. And so now you're both design integration directors on the water design integration team, which I hear is all women, which is awesome. So can you yes. guys tell me about that, that team and your roles there and, and what you all do?
2: Go ahead,
3: Naomi. <laughs> yeah. So we have an excellent team of, of a lot of strong, um, uh, women engineers, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. Michaela and I are kind of developing the framework for the design integration, um, which is a new addition for the water business unit. And you know, really utilizing our our team to help build out these processes and procedures that, in turn, support our project teams. Um, so yeah, we're just really focused on building a team of you know design integration professionals to to manage the the workload that we have in the pipeline.
2: Yeah, just to add on to that, um, like Naomi said, we've got a really really great team. Um, We're building out the framework still design integration really existed in the commercial field for a very long time, but was hard to translate over to water. So Naomi and I are doing our best to navigate and translate that over to the water field and it's proving to to pay dividends. Um, We're working on partnering, constructability, value engineering, startup and commissioning, BDC integration, um, and just overall innovation throughout the water business unit and trying to pass that down. Um, it's been a lot of fun to make sure that our practices are consistent, um, that they're innovative, staying on top of the market. Um, our goal at the end of the day is really to make sure that we're increasing productivity in the field, which will save uh, all of our projects' time and money and heartache, mm-hmm. and also the quality, making sure that that uh, the end product is is something that everyone can be proud of.
1: Absolutely. And as this is a women in water episode, can you tell me what it's like to work on the, on an all- woman team right now?
2: <laughs> I could start. Um, yeah. I love our all women team. I think in a, a field that's dominated by males, um, sometimes especially for me, it's it's really challenging to um, kind of have that camaraderie uh, mm-hmm. organically. it It takes a little bit more effort to understand. What everyone's interests are, and have conversations um, that I want to have conversations in. Um, sure. To have this full female team, the camaraderie is is very very easy. And then looking around at our team, everyone's got incredible strengths. You look at Naomi, and she. She's this expert in membranes and reuse, and she's, she's got this organization and elegance about the way that she does things, and it's so inspiring. Um, everyone on the team also has their strengths. They're very hardworking, they're very on top of things. Um, they're very eager to learn, and it just it just makes me so passionate and so inspired and so empowered um, to continue to achieve and to continue to do the work that we have. So I'm, I'm really proud of this group. Um, and just fortunate that that they're all females.
3: Yeah, it happened to just work out that way. And um, I just you know want to add, McCarthy is incredibly dedicated and focused to uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, which is you know it's always a focus of of a lot of companies. But I, sure. I feel like they really embrace that, um, awesome. and they you know they act uh, they act proactively. And, and Michaela and I were um, added to our water leadership team uh, last year, which, you know, prior to us joining, did not have any representation. So I think that really goes a long way to show, you know, that our team and our, our, our male counterparts were really serious about inclusion of our perspectives and um, empowering, you know, their their women partners to, to really help drive the strategy or the water team. So I thought that was extremely valuable for them to, to make that move.
1: Yeah, that's good. That that's great to hear. How has mentorship played a role in each of your careers? If it has, I don't want to assume that it has, but has it played a role? And if so, what did that look like?
3: It def- definitely has for, <laughs> for me. Um, I don't think you, you know, can get uh, far with, without really having some great mentors and role models in, in your career. Um, I think they really come into play when you go through, you know, some type of adversity or have to make a tough career decision, which is kind of where I've leaned heavily on my mentors. Um, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to be a part of a young professional group, which really helped me network and find these, you know, mentors and, and other advocates, um, so that's, you know, a great place to, to find these types of folks. Um, but yeah, it's just incredibly important, I think, to be able to have those perspectives from, you know, others in your industry.
2: It was incredibly important to my career. Like I said, the way I got in was finding that mentor that had a position open in water. Um, I followed her around for a long time and and um, and was, was uh, empowered by her. Um, moved out, found another mentor uh, in my next position who really taught me the technical aspects of everything. And now that I'm at McCarthy, we have several people who are willing to mentor in all kinds of ways. I mean, Naomi is one of them for me, um, showing me what it's like to be confident um, and think about the broader group. Um, but also, a lot of our 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 leadership um, on the water leadership team—they really give great feedback. They're always encouraging you to go to the next position saying, hey, let's talk about contracts. I'll sit down with you anytime. And so um, mentors play a huge role. And for me, um, it's really important that those relationships are organic. Luckily, a lot of my my mentor-mentee relationships are a lot of chemical engineers who <laughs> kind of know that background, but also just people who have the same personality or same values that I have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like kind of no matter what industry, right? Just kind of any career mentorship plays plays a huge role and is so important. Um, And so kind of to that degree, what advice can you each offer, you know, other young professionals, women or not entering the water industry?
2: I would say the advice that I would give is um, just know that you belong in the room. I think early in my career, Um, I was invited to the room, but I never thought that I fit in. Um, You'd look around the room and you'd see all males or all people of a certain experience or people that you make out to seem like this extraordinary person and you don't feel like you belong in the room. Um, It took me a while to really understand that I belonged, that I was important, that my perspective was important. So the advice I would give is, if when you're invited into a room, uh, sit at the table, give your perspective. You're there for a reason. You belong. Doesn't matter who's in the room. Um, you belong there.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's great advice. Everyone gets a seat at the table, hopefully. So, yeah. <laughs> Naomi, what about you?
3: Yeah, I mean, 100. I I agree <laughs> with Michaela. I was kind of thinking the same thing. You know, it's you're you've been tapped on the shoulder, or you've been you know presented with an opportunity because. You're qualified and capable. So, you know, just, just know that that's the reason why you're, you're there and be confident and, you know, know that you have something to bring, um, you know, don't be afraid to, to do those hard things and seize those opportunities because, um, you, you can do it. Like, you know, just really know that you, you have the ability. So.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like from what I'm taking away too, right. And something I talk about with my own friends is that imposter syndrome feeling, right. So like Michaela, you were saying you're invited to into the room and then just kind of embracing that and realizing that you have what it takes and deserve to be there is, is super important to understand.
3: Yeah. And, and just, you know, really just don't, you don't have to fit a certain mold, you know, being yourself is important and that's why your you know experience is valuable. Um, we all have different personalities and, and different ways of communicating and, and that's, that's good, you know, embrace that and, and roll with it because that's, that's who you are and that's really what's going to shine through. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so I have two more questions for you. Um, first, what does it mean to each of you to be a woman in the water industry?
2: For me, um, being in the wonder water industry alone um, means so much to me. Um, all I've ever wanted to do is make an impact in my community, an impact in the world, an impact on the people around me. So water is just the perfect fit. Um, I'm very passionate about being in water. Uh, the fact that it was a male dominated industry, um, it's just, I guess, a coincidence. Um, mm-hmm. But what's nice about being in the industry and being a woman in water in the industry is that I think a lot of women share that sentiment. Like I want to make an impact. I want to um, make sure that my neighbor is okay. Um, a lot of that mm-hmm. sentiment is shared, and I don't think that it's well known that the water industry exists, or well known that there's different facets to the water industry. Whether you're on the manufacturing side or the engineering side or now the construction side, there's so many ways to make such a difference in the world. Um, And I think that this, it's awesome to be that person that can empower and inspire people to follow um, and, and be in this industry and make that impact.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, whether it's in the water industry or any industry, you know, just having, having this platform to, you know, perform at, at, you know, a high level with, with, you know, talented, people around you is, is just incredibly exciting and humbling and, and, you know, just, just being able to, um, you know, have a, have that platform I think is, is incredibly empowering for myself. So I'm very lucky.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then my final question is for each of you, what is your favorite part or the most exciting part? To each of you about being in the industry.
2: I guess for me, (laughs) um, the most exciting part about being in in the the industry is exactly what I said earlier. It's just making the impact on the community. All I ever wanted to do growing up was take care of people and um, and and help out my community and um, help out my family, help out. Uh, and make the biggest impact I can while I'm on earth and so I think there's no better way um, everybody needs clean water to live everyone needs a nice environment to live in um, I think the water industry it's that
3: yeah I, I think you know one of the big reasons why I was you know excited to go into the water industry out of college was you know primarily because it, it was something that was going to be helpful for mm-hmm. you know everyone and uh you know not detrimental to the environment and you know kind of that good for good for the community good for humanity so just you know being able to support that that bigger um that bigger picture is is why I love the water industry
1: uh well Naomi Michaela thank you both so much for joining me today and for sharing a little bit about yourselves and your careers um it was really nice to meet you both and I uh, hope we'll talk soon
2: Great to
1: meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katie. All right. Thank you again, Naomi and Michaela, for taking the time to do an interview with me. I really enjoyed our conversation, and um, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Um, And with that, we're going to jump right into housekeeping. So for water quality products, nominations are now open for this year's Industry Icon and Young Pros programs. You can submit your nominations today at wqpmag.com slash faces hyphen industry um, and bob over to you
0: yeah for wwd we have our wwd young pros program currently open for nominations you can find those at wwdmag.com slash nominate we've extended the deadline to march 30th so be sure to submit a rising star today we will feature a handful of them and our may june issue which will be distributed at awwa ace in june also, please be sure to go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Wastewater Digest, and while you're there, hit the subscribe button. And lastly, I will be attending the AWWA WEF Summit in just two weeks. If you intend to go there, please come say hello while you're there at the show. Additionally, I'll be attending Texas Water on April 12th and 13th, so I would love to meet any listeners there at that show. So get in touch via social media or our podcast email address.
1: All right, and for Stormwater Solutions, registration is now open for our April webinar on April 6th. We are going to be diving into low impact development, great infrastructure and all that good stuff, and you can register for free at bitly webinar And finally, as we've mentioned before, later this year we will be hosting StormCon in Dallas from August 29th to 31st, and exclusive to this podcast is a 10% registration discount. Visit bit.ly slash StormConReg2023 and use the code 1WATER10, all caps, to get 10% off your registration for the show. And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at TalkingUnderwater at EndeavorB2B.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUWPodcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.